didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. That's right. The world is literally laughing at you, Mr. President. The world! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, in Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your convenience on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And even if I say so myself, uh, the swell fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, joining me and the ever-delightful Desi Doyen. Ever-delightful. We'll see (laughs) how delightful you stay. Uh, In any event, thanks for joining us. Glad to have you here. The uh, November 6th midterm elections are now exactly six weeks away. Not that I'm counting or anything. And uh, today happens to be National Voter Registration Day. So, Desi Doyen, happy National Voter Registration Day. Yes, I love it. It comes earlier every year. Are you you registered uh, to vote on November 6th? Are you sure about that? Are you registered in the name and at the address that you think you are registered at? Today is a great time to find out the answers to those questions. Check out with your uh, with your county clerk or your town or your state uh, secretary of state's website. You may want to do that a few times between now and November 6th just to make sure nothing happens to that registration between now and then. You can also uh, help your county clerk, by the way, to make such websites easier to use, as I found out today. When I checked my registration in Los Angeles County and found I was registered, good. I was registered as expected. That part is good. But on the page that uh, told me as much, some of the information was not exactly correct. The page actually told me, quote, you are registered. You are a registered voter eligible to vote in the following elections. And then the page said, quote, There are currently no elections scheduled at this time. Oh, that's kind of a problem. Of course, there is an election scheduled at this time. And uh, the website, uh, which LAVote.net in my case here in Los Angeles, 
uh, does know that there is an election scheduled because when I clicked to find out my precinct, it showed me the correct one, and it said the next election was 11-6, November 6, which is correct. So I, uh, I notified the L.A. County Registrar about that misleading information, uh, and hopefully it will be corrected soon. I heard back from L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk Dean Logan, who says, yeah, uh, that date is to be updated this week once sample ballots are ready to go out. So anyway... Good idea to check. Good this, idea to check. And to help your local county registrar make sure they've got the best possible ways for everybody to check and also encourage your family and friends. Remind them as well. This is a participatory democracy. So, yes, please participate. Make sure you're properly registered to do so. Happy Voter Registration Day. All right. And thus ends the happy news today. <laughs> Not actually. Uh, well, we'll see. Maybe we have a wildly dangerous president, uh, the one who is almost always good for a laugh, even if it is the world laughing at him. Uh, here's a fun tweet from August of 2014. Real Donald Trump tweeted, quote, we need a president who isn't a laughing stock to the entire world. We need a truly great leader, a genius at strategy and winning. Well, at the uh, U.N. General Assembly today, our uh, that genius at strategy, uh, strategy and winning, in the first two minutes of his address at the U.N. General Assembly, Donald Trump was laughed at, not with, but at, by the General Assembly. Today I stand before the United Nations General Assembly to share the extraordinary progress we've made. In less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. So there you go. They laughed at him yep. two minutes out of the box for saying he's uh, greater than ever. At least that's what happens at the U.N. Actually, that never happens at the U.N., but it happened today at the U.N. Good. Good for the U.N. General Assembly. And as if that isn't enough fun, real Donald Trump also uh, tweeted last night in his desperate attempt to get his man Brett Kavanaugh onto the U.S. Supreme Court, no matter what, quote, the Democrats are working hard to destroy a wonderful man and a man who has the potential to be one of our greatest Supreme Court justices ever with an array of false acquisitions, the likes of which have never been seen before. Wait, what? False acquisitions. <laughs> That's what he... Autocorrect, I, I guess. Yeah, Maybe. I'm, I, hoping, I'm hoping it's autocorrect yeah, on his I, phone. I suspect he meant false accusations. Uh, but, you know, maybe uh, maybe he meant false uh, acquisitions. Uh, he may know something about that, Donald Trump. He also knows something uh, about uh, false accusations. <laughs> At least he claims that he does because all of the accusations against him are false until they are proven true in, you know, courts of law and stuff. Anyway, not nearly as funny were the comments made by the president of the United States today during a media avail uh, at the U.N. while sitting next to the president of Colombia when he described the first two accusations of sexual assault and misconduct against Brett Kavanaugh. 
as, quote, a con game being played by the Democrats. Now, remember, this is a woman who says Kavanaugh attempted to rape her while he was drunk, pulled her into a room at a party, held her down, tried to take her clothes off, held his hand over her mouth so that no one would hear her scream. And uh, and now another woman, a second woman, who says, uh, though uh, she had also been drinking at the time, she believes that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a party during his first year at Yale. Here's uh, Trump, who has also, as I note, been accused of sexual harassment and has admittedly lied about paying off women to keep them quiet about affairs that he's had. Here's Trump's comments today at the U.N. with the president of Colombia on on the first two of Brett Kavanaugh's accusers. I think it's horrible what the Democrats have done. It's a con game they're playing. They're they're really con artists. They're they're trying to convince... You know, they don't don't believe it themselves, okay? They know he's a high-quality person. They don't believe it. It's just resist and obstruct. They're playing a con game, and they play it very well. They play it actually much better than the Republicans. 36 years ago, nobody ever knew about it, nobody ever heard about it, and now a new charge comes up, and she said, well, it might not be him, and there were gaps, and she said she was totally inebriated, and she was all messed up, and she doesn't know it was him, but it might have been him. Oh, gee, let's not make him a Supreme Court judge because of that. This is a con game being played by the Democrats. Uh, this is a con game being played by the Democrats. She was all messed up. She was inebriated. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Can I just add also that he is an admitted sexual assaulter? Donald Trump. Yes, and the ha- Access Hollywood tapes. He uh, actually yeah. admitted to sexually assaulting women. As of now, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford is still scheduled to appear before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday to tell her to tell her story and to face questions from either the senators or the female prosecutor that Republicans are reportedly hiring to ask her questions, given that there are zero Republican women on the Judiciary Committee. And by the way, in the committee's 202 year history. They have never had a single Republican woman on that committee ever. Uh, four of the 10 current Democrats uh, on the committee are women, including uh, the ranking member, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. Um, she's a few months older than the Republican committee chair, Chuck Grassley. But the committee has never been chaired by a woman. Anyway, I digress. Uh, As to the second woman to go public with sexual misconduct allegations on the record uh, by Kavanaugh, a woman named Deborah Ramirez, who says Kavanaugh exposed herself to exposed himself to her when they were both drinking at a party as first year students at Yale, which I don't think excuses someone from exposing themselves. Are you allowed to do that if you're drunk? Is that uh, is that a new thing that um, <laughs> that hey, it's okay as long as you can say you were drunk? No, right. Um, anyway, she says that uh, he exposed himself to her. They were both uh, drinking at a party as uh, first year students at Yale. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said on Tuesday to ABC News that. Uh, they would, quote, certainly be open to allowing that second woman who has accused Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct to testify about her allegations on Thursday. 
uh, Sarah Sanders said, quote, certainly we would be open to that, and that process could take place on Thursday. So far, no word that it will take place on Thursday. In an interview on Monday with Fox News, the first time any Supreme Court nominee has ever done a TV interview during the confirmation process, and it was done on Fox News of all places. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit with my guest coming up uh, momentarily. But uh, in that interview on Fox, Kavanaugh strongly denied both of those allegations against him, said about one from his uh, second accuser, Deborah Ramirez, uh, about being that he exposed himself at a party at Yale. He said, quote, I never did any such thing. The other people alleged to be there don't recall any such thing. If such a thing had happened, it would have been the talk of campus. The women I know in college and the men I knew in college said that it's unconceivable that I could have done such a thing. Well, not everyone that Kavanaugh knew in college, including his own freshman year roommate, when the incident is said to have happened. On Monday night, ABC 7 in San Francisco uh, reports that Brett Kavanaugh's roommate from Yale says he believes the second woman accusing Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct, James Roche, says he was Kavanaugh's roommate in the fall of 1983. That's uh, their freshman year when the incident in question allegedly took place. He told ABC, uh, the ABC affiliate, that um, uh, I would see him as he returned from nights out with his friends. Brett was normally reserved, but he was a notably heavy drinker, even by the standards of the time. And he became aggressive and belligerent when he was very drunk. I did not observe the specific incident in question, says Roach, but I do remember Brett frequently drinking excessively and becoming incoherently drunk. Roach says he became friends with Debbie Ramirez uh, at Yale and says, quote, she stood out as being exceptionally honest. He added in a statement, quote, based on my time with Debbie I believe her to be unusually honest and straightforward, and I cannot imagine her making this up. Based on my time with Brett, I believe that he and his social circle were capable of the accusations of the actions that Debbie described. Huh. Maybe Kavanaugh's roommate uh, from his first year in college should be called as a witness by the Judiciary Committee. But of course, they won't call anybody as a witness other than Dr. Ford, and maybe we'll see uh, the second accuser here before giving Kavanaugh the last word on all of this and without even getting testimony from the man accused of witnessing the first alleged attack. Other than that, they they totally want to get to the facts of the the, uh, issue here. As long as getting to the facts of the issue means that they don't talk to anybody. And that they don't actually get to the facts of the issue. Uh, and there must be no, no FBI investigation. Oh, absolutely period. not. That can't, we can't have that. That's right out. I seriously don't understand how this nomination has not yet been withdrawn, to be frank, uh, much less slowed down for a, a proper investigation. Other than these people are absolutely shameless, which I guess does explain it. We do know they are uh, shameless. But frankly, it's still mind-blowing to watch in progress. Just absolutely uh, uh, mind-boggling. On Monday, 
a nonpartisan group named Mormon Women for Ethical Government, which is a self-described nonpartisan group of over 6,000 women dedicated to the ideals of decency, honor, accountability, transparency, and justice in governing. That group called on Senate Judiciary Committee Republicans to, quote, immediately suspend the confirmation proceedings until a thorough independent investigation can be conducted. According to their statement published on Facebook, the Mormon women wrote, we very specifically urge the four members of the committee who share our faith as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They name Senator Hatch, Senator Lee, Senator Flake, and Senator Crapo to ensure that these charges be taken seriously and that every attempt be made to ascertain the truth of the situation. Our mutual faith teaches that any sexual abuse or assault in any context is contemptible and worthy of the most severe condemnation. Something tells me, however, that Senator Hatch, at the very least, does not actually give a damn about that or what uh, his uh, faith is. Oh, why limit it to Hatch? I, th- I think you could pretty much apply that to the entire Republican Party. They've made it clear over the last several weeks that they really do not care about women or sexual assault. Well, they don't. But um, you know, here you got uh, four Mormons who are being called out by 6,000 Mormon women to do the right thing. Uh, They say if these accusations are proved false, an investigation will prevent harm to the Supreme Court's legitimacy. If they are true, then Judge Kavanaugh must not be confirmed. So they're calling for an investigation. They're saying, let's slow this down. Let's do this correctly. But, yeah, I don't I don't think uh, (laughs) I don't think any Republican uh, and and certainly uh, including these four Mormon Republicans are actually going to do the right thing. Why would they start? Why start now? Senator and uh, former vice presidential nominee Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia, tweeted uh, last night, quote, what Republicans shouldn't rush a Supreme Court confirmation when serious charges of sexual assault are on the table. What Republicans should rush, he said, a vote on legislation to protect the Mueller investigation, given that by week's end, the man overseeing it could be fired. Now, of course, we don't have to worry about that, right? Because Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan told us that uh, Donald Trump would never do such a thing. Well, uh, it looks like he is going to do such a thing. And it looks like this uh, constitutional crisis that was averted briefly on Monday could take place on Thursday when Trump is back from being laughed at at the United Nations. And he is set to meet with Rod Rosenstein. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with media critic and political writer Eric Bullert to talk about all of this, how corporate media are behaving amidst all of this particularly after that report, an arguably misleading one from The New York Times on Friday that appears to have hastened this constitutional crisis, which we all may find ourselves in by week's end. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. During a meeting at the Department of Justice in the chaotic days early last year, just after Donald Trump fired FBI Director James Comey in hopes of shutting down the FBI's investigation into the alleged conspiracy between Russia and Team Trump before the 2016 election, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, according to the very first paragraph of a blockbuster exclusive from The New York Times last Friday, quote, suggested that he secretly record President Trump in the White House to expose the chaos consuming the administration. And he discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Mr. Trump from office for being unfit. Sounds damning, and perhaps it is, but the story seems to be based on descriptions of a comment from a memo of one of the participants in the meeting, Andrew McCabe, who has since been fired by uh, Donald Trump as well, and conversations with people who had conversations with the participants in the meeting, not with any actual participants themselves, just people who had talked to people who were in the meeting. And not even on the actual memo purportedly written by uh, McCabe referencing the, uh, 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 the the use by Rosenstein of the 25th Amendment, but by people who have claimed to have seen the memo and described it to Times reporters Adam Goldman and Michael Schmidt. Not long after the Times published their explosive piece, both the Washington Post and NBC News ran follow-ups quoting someone, also anonymously, but someone who was said to have been in the actual meeting, quoting Rosenstein's comments to McCabe, um, who was apparently angered uh, or angry at Rosenstein for writing a memo that was critical of Comey's handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation, and that was subsequently used as Trump's pretext for firing Comey. The actual person who was said to have been in the meeting and heard what was said by Rosenstein, according to the sources of both NBC and The Washington Post, claimed that Rosenstein's comment was actually a sarcastic joke along the lines of, quote, well, what do you want me to do, Andy? Wear a wire? That, of course, offers a very different picture of what actually happened inside that meeting from what the Times had initially reported. They have still not updated their report to include that quote from the other news outlets. And the result of all of that was on Monday, we had essentially a national fire drill for a constitutional crisis when Rosenstein was called to the White House for what appeared to be his imminent firing. Though for some reason, with Trump at the U.N. General Assembly until Thursday, that firing for now at least... Uh, is reportedly being held off until Thursday at the earliest, when Rosenstein is reportedly set to meet with Trump. Still, with Rosenstein 
now in charge of the Robert Mueller special uh, counsel investigation into Trump and Russia, firing Rosenstein could result in Trump's solicitor general, Noel Francisco, overseeing the Mueller probe, which many, including our guest on yesterday's broadcast, legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern, believe could result in the special counsel investigation being either killed or otherwise gutted very quickly. So what might have been a constitutional crisis on Monday now at least appears to be rescheduled for Thursday, potentially instead, and all thanks to what appears to have been a misleading report from the New York Times again. Also on Thursday, at least as of this hour, the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee is set to hear testimony from the first accuser of Judge Brett Kavanaugh, Trump's pick for the already stolen U.S. Supreme Court, as all of us scramble to try to keep up with the ongoing and arguably worsening national emergency playing out under Trump in advance of the November 6th midterm elections. But Kavanaugh uh, for his part, could not wait until Thursday to share his side of the story. Instead, for the first time ever, amidst a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, a nominee did a television interview. And where else would he go but to Fox News? Joining us now to hopefully shed some light on what media are getting right and wrong in all of this is our old friend Eric Bollert, longtime media critic at Media Matters for America and Salon, who now writes about that and much more at Share Blue. He's, uh, he's also the author of two books, Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changed Politics and the Press, and Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. Eric Bullard, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, man, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, we haven't talked to you in uh, quite a while. I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that it has been a very slow news year or so <laughs> over the past. So my apologies. Uh, but welcome you. back. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's start. Oh, my pleasure. Let's start with uh, uh, the Kavanaugh hearings uh, for a moment. During his uh, initial confirmation hearings a few weeks ago, in uh, his opening statement, Kavanaugh said, quote, A good judge must be an umpire, a neutral and impartial arbiter who favors no litigant or policy. He said the Supreme Court must never be viewed as a partisan institution. And then he went on Fox News, uh, of all places, last night to give an unprecedented interview uh, by a sitting uh, Supreme Court nominee. So how'd that interview go, Eric Bullard, with Fox News? You know, it, it, it couldn't have, you can't call it a success. I mean, it wasn't a disaster. He mm -hmm. didn't fall off his chair, and he, he was giving these simple questions on a platter. There was no substantive follow-up. Uh, he wasn't asked, why won't your high school buddy Mark Judge, why is he in hiding in Delaware, apparently? Why does he refuse to testify uh, and, and be able to corroborate or not corroborate mm -hmm. some of these uh, allegations of sexual assault? Why don't you want the FBI to clear your name with a, with a background check? He wasn't asked any of these obvious questions. wasn't asked about uh, allegations from, uh, from his college days of being, quote, incoherently drunk. Uh, and that was, I believe, his college roommate who, mm -hmm. who said that. So um, the, the Fox News interview was designed not to be a problem. But, boy, you know, the, the optics of it are strange. As you mentioned, no, no sitting nominee has ever given an interview, particularly not when there was a, a, a moment of crisis. And you have to wonder why, why was the Republican Party pushing him out on Fox News? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, Mitch, if Mitch McConnell has the votes, 
And last Friday, he rather cavalierly announced it in front of a partisan, I think it was an evangelical meeting, that he was going to plow through and he would be confirmed and he will be a judge very soon. Mitch McConnell seems to be singing a different song, uh, much more angry and upset this week, which makes you wonder if behind the scenes, he he literally cannot afford to lose one vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Fox News interview seemed to me an act of desperation, and I don't think it did them any good. Um, Brett Kavanaugh, as I think made, was made clear during the hearings themselves, just is not a very impressive person. Uh, you can disagree with everything Neil Gorsuch has written in his adult life, and I do in terms <laughs> of his legal opinion. Right. Neil Gorsuch uh, 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 um, uh, came across as an impressive person, uh, aside from his you know, legal writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he came across as a person who knew who he was, and and sort of where he wanted to go in life. Brett Kavanaugh came across as kind of this very underwhelming kind of, if you know his background from Ken's, you know, his years working with Ken Starr, Mm -hmm. years working at the Bush White House, hiding all of these documents, giving these canned answers uh, about precedent and things like that. And he, I, I think he clearly lied during the original hearings, lied about these emails that he received during his Bush tenure that were stolen uh, in, in, in order to help, yep. um, stolen from Democratic accounts in order to help Republican judges get confirmed. Mm-hmm. So um, all of that created no goodwill with the public, and now these allegations come across, and I think any goodwill he had has collapsed. He now has public support of something like 31%, which is just astonishing mm-hmm. for, for a Supreme Court nominee. So I don't think the Fox News interview worked. I don't think he's in any better shape today than he was yesterday. And I think he is going to have a, a, a world of trouble when he, when he faces questions from a Sheldon Whitehouse, a Kamala Harris, a Cory Booker, et cetera, at these hearings. He doesn't seem prepared for it. And uh, I, I'm I'm still sort of stuck. You know, he did, by the way, or, or she did, uh, Martha McCollum over on Fox, did ask him about uh, why shouldn't there be an FBI investigation. But he didn't answer it, and she didn't, uh, you know, force him to. She just moved on right. to the next thing. So it was an it was easy— all to- It was a top-line yeah, interview. Top-line interview uh, and everything. Absolutely, and of course expected to be softball, but it's— interesting to me why he would even choose to go on Fox and as you suggest yeah. Eric uh, maybe it suggest I mean are they at the point where they have to shore up their own base here at this point uh, in, in support of Kavanaugh I mean why do they need to they don't it wouldn't you wouldn't think they need to win over the right wingers at this point you'd think they'd need to win over everyone else but maybe I'm uh, maybe they're not quite so confident in their support from their own people yeah, I, I think that they're, they're. I think McConnell is, lo- is nervous about win- losing a vote or two, um, and, uh, and 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 the interview also suggested that, you know, he was facing very simple, basic questions and didn't do a very good job answering them. Mm-hmm. And so, at the hearing, obviously, when he faces Democrats, uh, they're not just going to ask the top line question and move on. Uh, they're going to ask again and again and again. Um, so all indications are from that interview, uh, to me, are he's not prepared for Thursday, and Republicans are afraid they've lost a vote or two.
how how uh, do you see the media handling uh, these allegations against Kavanaugh? I mean, you know, the, these are tough questions that are being brought yep. up and, and decades old stories with some vague details. Uh, you know, I have some sympathy for uh, for the folks there. But are they are they handling it as you see it as a media critic for all of these years? Are they handling it appropriately or not so much as you see it before we get to beating up the New York Times on the Rosenstein affair? Oh, um, I think the press has generally, uh, in a really broad picture umbrella view, I think they've generally done a decent job. Um, if we hadn't had a Me Too movement for the last year or 18 months or however many years that cultural movement has been working, I don't think the, the coverage would look like it does today. Mm. I think there's been a lot of... Um, you know, introspection in terms of how to handle these things, uh, and, and I think I think news organizations have generally uh, done a good job. I don't think they're blindly believing anyone. I don't think they're blindly attacking anyone. But I think the coverage today is different than it would have looked like five years ago. It's certainly different than it would look like during Anita Hill. Mm. Um, so I think there has been progress and improvement on that front. If uh, before we move to Rosenstein here, if, if Kavanaugh is seated, Eric, uh, we'll have essentially uh, at least at least three of nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court with asterisks essentially by their name: Kavanaugh and Thomas as accused uh, sex what uh, whatever sex criminals. I don't know what to call them. Uh, Neil Gorsuch in a stolen seat, and of course that overlooks. Chief Justice Roberts and Sam Alito, who are nominated by a guy who uh, likely didn't win the presidency in the first right. place. So, and so now that's you know five of nine. We've talked on this show with um, author David Ferris, uh, who argues that Democrats should pack the court if and when mm. they ever take back the White House yeah. and both houses of Congress. You know, by adding at least two more seats to, or whatever right. is needed to w- take back a majority that was stolen from them. I agree. I'm curious if you do, Eric. You know, I don't know. I mean, I've certainly heard of that option in FDR. I know uh, has traveled down that road previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I haven't come to a conclusion. I haven't studied it closely enough. I will tell you, though, um, that clearly, you know, with Merrick Garland and with Kavanaugh, uh, the Republican Party in 18 months is, is, is this close to basically demolishing the legitimacy of the United States Supreme Court, that has huge implications, not just for law and justice, but for an authoritarian like Trump, because corrupting uh, the high courts is always a goal of any authoritarian, just like delegitimizing the free press. But think about this scenario. We're going to have a president who lost the popular vote, who may... There's a chance Mike Pence is going to have to break a tie. There's a chance... Yeah. that he would have to break a tie to get this guy on the Supreme Court who, and, uh, from, via a president who lost the popular vote, and then he's going to be the swing vote on outlawing a choice in this country? Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, you, really, you do really wonder about le- the legitimacy of the court and what Democrats should do to try to regain it if it's possible at that point. Well, yeah, and that's why I cite Ferris there. His book is uh, yeah. called titled something like Time to Fight Dirty. 
Uh, and I think I think it's frankly long overdue because we're not talking about just destroying now the U.S. Supreme Court. We're also talking about uh, what Trump and the Republicans are doing to try to destroy the Department of Justice and the FBI. I originally sure. thought of you, uh, Eric, uh, Friday after the New York Times story about Rosenstein uh, reportedly citing the 25th Amendment, discussing wearing a wire to record the president. You have called the story uh, politely flawed, and um, and now it's being used as a pretext for the, uh, the apparent likely firing of Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein, who oversees the Mueller investigation. How was the report flawed, as you very uh, uncharacteristically nicely put it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same reason that you that you aligned outlined at the top. Look, the the story came out of nowhere, right? It's from May of 2017. Mm-hmm. So why is this being rehashed now? And, 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 and it immediately raised a lot of red flags in that this is perfectly suits the White House narrative. It's going to give them uh, a peg to hook their Rosenstein uh, animus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even though it didn't make any sense, I mean, every book I've read about the administration uh, suggests half of Trump's staff thinks he's insane. <laughs> what Rosenstein Stein was... was may have said in seriousness or just isn't off the charts by any stretch and so it's even the even the premise seemed dubious to me but uh the new york times went with the story and, and they were on twitter and they were calling it a scoop and they played it huge but the newsworthiness of it to me was dubious to begin with but then the bigger problem came when nbc uh, Washington Post and others, uh, as you said, were quoting people who were in the room, saying this was a joke, this was sarcasm. People were, were people were in a state of shock after the Comey firing. Uh, people at the DOJ, just three or four months into the Trump presidency, were still trying to grasp the seriousness and the radical nature, and 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 they're looking at each other like, what the hell are we supposed to do? And apparently, someone says, what are we going to do? Wiretap the guy? Um, and, and the New York Times, you know, either has no detection for sarcasm or humor. It seems <laughs> dedicated uh, to, to hyping this in the most stark uh, and serious way possible, and the whole time knowing that this is, this is exactly the narrative that the White House wants. Uh, and, and we can talk about other things about the Times, and we can talk about how they went after you know, the New Yorker this mm-hmm. week, when the New Yorker came up with a second accuser of Kavanaugh, New York Times took the extraordinary step of stating publicly, oh, we chased that story, but we couldn't confirm it, dot, 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 i.e., you probably shouldn't believe this woman, which is, it, which is unprecedented. News organizations don't do that when they get scooped, basically, you know, tell everyone else, well, this story isn't legit. Right. Um, but, with, with the, but with the Rosenstein... Um, Oh, the, the issue with both of those is there is no public editor, right? There is no way right. to hash out these differences. People go on Twitter and complain, and, and every New York Times journalist instantly uh, gets, gets defensive and lashes out and, and, and says we're all partisan and you just can't understand the brilliance that they're, you know, the, the, they're, they're delivering for us every day. Uh, so it's an institutional problem, um, and, and with the Rosenstein article, it, it became, it, you know, it kind of bubbled up to the top. Like, who's using who here? 
and, and what does this access journalists what is it actually delivering? And, you know, it's one thing uh, to get a story wrong. Everybody gets something, you know, gets stories wrong and they correct it. It's another thing to maybe, I guess, even not have the whole story. But the New York Times did not update. I was really surprised. They didn't update. They didn't change their headline uh, after the uh, NBC and Washington Post came out with this explanation for what it's worth. Right. And, and who knows, by the way. Who has it right? I mean, maybe well, but, the New York Times has it right, but they didn't yeah, even acknowledge that other side of that, uh, th- that other interpretation of those those comments. Yeah, and just to jump in, and you, I mean, as you pointed out, the, the NBC and the Washington Post sourcing seems to be better. I mean, it seemed to be more direct, people who were in the room. And, and the Times stuff seemed to be someone who saw a memo who saw mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So... But the, that's the kind of the Times' institutional arrogance, right? They never acknowledge, um, you know, they, they're not going to acknowledge that someone else reported the story differently. And, you know, look, the part of the problem is that everyone follows the Times. Yep. You know, I was, I was watching the coverage, you know, on CNN on Friday. And so we had four reports. Three of them said it was a joke. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm watching CNN, and guess which three they ignored? They ignored <laughs> the three that said it was a joke, and they follow the New York Times. A, people like to follow the New York Times. B, the New York Times storyline was better, right? Mm. If it's a joke, well, what's the? who cares? Then It's not a story. Yeah. But if you ignore the joke narrative and you stick with the Times, you're like, you know, blockbuster, is he going to fire him? And that led to the, the kind of the fire drill. I uh, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the result is certainly not a joke. And uh, right. it, which I read, you know, when I read that story uh, initially, I read it at the same time that I read those other versions. And I'm like, oh, man, they're going to go the media. And of course, this uh, crazy Donald Trump and his White House are going going to go and they will have justification from The New York Times with the way The Times reported it and didn't update it. Now, in printing, you know, w- w- there seems to be a pattern with the New York Times in these sort of irresponsible stories that end up helping right-wingers. We can go back, of course, uh, of course to Judy, uh, Judith Miller and the non-existent WMD and the, before the Iraq War. We can go back to right. the Hillary Clinton uh, email stories that uh, endlessly from the New York Times. So are these just mistakes Eric, that any news organization might make, or is there something going on, something else, at the New York Times, as you see it, from someone who's been covering them very closely for many years? Well, and, and you can go back further. You can go to, back to Wen Ho Lee during the Clinton years. Obviously, you can go to back to Whitewater mm. impeachment right. and all of that yeah. stuff. Um, there does seem to be a, a, a pattern when they get things wrong, they get things wrong uh, in a way that helps Republicans, <laughs> you know whether it's the Bush invasion yeah. or, or, or Whitewater or, or, or things like that. And, and again, I go back to this Kavanaugh story. Uh, you know, to me, Mitch McConnell was on the floor of the U.S. Senate yesterday saying even the New York Times wouldn't run this story with the second accuser because it couldn't be confirmed. I mean, you knew that was going to happen. Yep. You knew when the New Yorker came out with a story about the, the Ramirez accuser, and, and the New York Times rushed forward and said, oh, you know, we couldn't get that story. You know, we couldn't confirm it. You knew the Republicans were going to use that. You knew the White House was going to use that. And, by the way, why couldn't the New York Times confirm that story? Because Ramirez was working exclusively with the New Yorker. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not rocket science. It wasn't like, 
you know, there there have been no holes punched in that New Yorker story. It, you know, it's a solid story. It, what, so what is the what? And, and and when you're dealing with these allegations of sexual assault, the number one issue is credibility, credibility, credibility. Because because uh, the, the, the defenders, in this case Republicans, are always going to try to knock these women down. So it is incredibly damaging out of the gate for the New York Times as an institution to basically say, don't believe her. We wanted to, we couldn't. That's mind-boggling. News organizations aren't in that position to do that. And again, there was Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate saying even the New York Times thinks doesn't right. believe this story. Of course. That's, that's, that's awful. The, the, the paper they love to bash constantly unless it gives them something right. they like, and then it's exactly. even the New York Times. Uh, Eric, before right. I let you go, because I know you also wrote about the, this in part over at shareblue.com, uh, I think today or yesterday, uh, CNN is now reporting that the all-male GOP senators of the Judiciary Committee are, in fact, hiring a woman to question Brett Kavanaugh's accuser on Thursday, right. but they won't disclose her identity. Okay, uh, with that as sort of an exit question, uh, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that. And, of course, if you wish, at your own peril, to make any predictions on whether uh, Kavanaugh will be seated and or Rosenstein will be fired by week's end. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I started the week fearing both, that, that he would be confirmed and, and Rosenstein would be fired. Uh, but, boy, you talk about the optics. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost beyond parody at this point. You know, um, Republicans have never allowed a Republican woman to serve on the Judiciary Committee. And now they're trying to scramble because they don't want 11 old men asking uh, Dr. Ford about her allegations. So they have to go hire somebody to ask the question. I mean, it's it's perfect. It it just completely captures uh, today's Republican Party. It It is a white man party. And... They're going to find out in midterms uh, what happens when you lose half the population in terms of uh, women voters. We'll see, says Eric Bolt. Won't predict necessarily Kavanaugh Rosenstein, but is on record on uh, the November election. We'll see if you're right, Eric. Uh, we hope you are. Eric Bollert, uh, you can find his work over at shareblue.com and, of course, on the Twitters, a very lively feed, I should add, at Eric Bullert, B-O-E-H-L-E-R-T. Eric, great talking to you, man. Uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon in the future. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, as uh, Eric says, they are hiring. They don't have any Republican women on the Judiciary Committee, so they're, I guess, hiring a Republican senator, essentially, uh, to ask the questions. Judiciary Chair Chuck Grassley, according to CNN, uh, will not disclose, at least as of Tuesday, the identity of this outside counsel, um, saying out of concern for her safety, I guess that's what he says here. She'll uh, ask questions for the GOP senators while Democrats do their own questioning. Uh, Mitch McConnell told reporters on Tuesday that he does not think men should be, quote, disqualified from listening to the evidence and making decisions, but pointed to the hiring of the outside counsel, who he referred to as, quote, a female assistant. Oh, wow. They've hired they hired a secretary. Well, they a had nice, to get somebody. A to... nice lady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's where we are. Um and uh, the they say that the the identity of this person will be kept a mystery. 
I guess until she actually does the questioning. I don't know if she's going to also be the one who questions uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh about all of this stuff. But yes, they actually had to hire a female Republican. Well, yeah, that's because they realize they have no leg to stand on on this historically, currently, none whatsoever. So they have to do some kind of CYA to cover themselves, to uh, make it look like, at least give the appearance of, which they're very good at trying to give the appearance of without the actual fact of caring about women's issues and women themselves. Well, they sure they care. They've they've hired a sex crimes and experienced sex crimes prosecutor. That is apparently who is coming in to question the victim in this case. Uh, I guess I'm guessing probably not the alleged perpetrator, but we will see. We will all see on Thursday if this actually happens. That's still a big if. All right. Quick break. And we are back with the Green News report, which will happen is not an if it will happen Right after this break, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance. Now, more than ever, from Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I think this is about the first time in uh, damn near two weeks that we haven't talked about Hurricane Florence uh, this, uh, at the, by this point in the show, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about it uh, momentarily because it is still ongoing. But uh, this just in from Fox News. The Senate Judiciary Committee reschedules their vote on Brett Kavanaugh for Friday morning. Aha. So they're going to have their uh, one single hearing on this on Thursday, and then they are going to immediately vote uh, her up or down out of the committee on Friday. This, by the way, at the very end of that CNN story, uh, they note that uh, Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, who is a potential swing vote here, along with Susan Collins of Maine, she says there should be. Uh, Well, when she was asked if there should be a full FBI probe into these allegations, she responded, quote, it would sure clear up all the questions, wouldn't it? Well, let's see if that actually comes to pass. It won't. I I, I know. But she is uh, the swing vote here and says, yeah, it'd be nice if we had an FBI investigation. All right. We got to get to it. Our latest Green News report. Even if the Waccamaw River crests on Tuesday, as predicted, the floodwaters may not recede for days, even weeks. Nope, the impacts from Hurricane Florence ain't over yet. And yep, new evacuations are underway in South Carolina. As predicted, Florence flooding spills toxic coal ash waste. National TV media failed to connect the dots between the storm's impact and climate change. As predicted. Plus... The Republicans are really, really nervous about an eight-member court delivering some liberal victories. Endangered species hang in the balance as Republicans rush their nominee onto the Supreme Court. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. 
comment. Thousands of dead fish have been left along I-40 in the aftermath of Hurricane Florence. Huh. Wonder what's holding up the plague of locusts. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we're now uh, about a week and a half past landfall of Florence and still new evacuations going on in the Carolinas. Yep, rivers are continuing to crest in South Carolina now, with authorities in Georgetown County urging thousands of residents to prepare to evacuate ahead of historic flooding that could last for weeks. And to add insult to injury, Florence's receding floodwaters have left behind thousands of rotting dead fish, creating an awful state on Interstate 40 in North Carolina. Also in North Carolina, as predicted, a coal ash waste dump owned by Duke Energy was breached by floodwaters and spilled into the Cape Fear River. Duke Energy says its initial testing conducted by its in-house lab indicate that the discharge into the Cape Fear River, quote, shows a slight increase in contamination, but well below permitted regulatory limits with little to no impact on river water quality. Well, if Duke Energy's own internal study says everything's fine, why were But North Carolina environmental groups recorded gray sludge on the riverbanks and in the water and say they're awaiting results of independent testing. Moreover, heavy metals, toxins, mercury, arsenic, all kinds of things were found in the Cape Fear River downstream from this coal ash pit. The parts per million were some three times higher than the water tested upstream of the coal ash pit. In July, the Trump administration rolled back Obama-era coal ash waste rules that would have limited the risk of these predictable spills. Although scientists say that climate change intensified Florence's effects, national TV news outlets failed to incorporate that into their hurricane coverage. According to a Media Matters analysis, ABC News did not mention climate at all during its Florence coverage. CBS, PBS, CNN, and MSNBC did at times connect Florence's extremes with climate change, but did so less than they did during their coverage of Hurricane Harvey last year. I have no idea what it's going to take at this point. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Trump administration Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration on Monday rolled back Obama-era safety rules designed to prevent explosions of trains that haul oil. The rules would have required trains carrying oil and other flammable materials to install special brakes and other safety features, but the administration said a new analysis found the cost of the rule to the industry outweighed the benefits. Making America great again. I'm sorry, making oil trains explode again. Republicans are desperately trying to ram through confirmation of D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's scandal-plagued anti-environment nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court, before voters have their say in the crucial November midterm elections. But at stake is more than just control of Congress. As Slate's legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern explained on a recent broadcast, the court is currently divided four to four. And in a new set that begins on October 1st is a new case that is very important to the logging, mining, and drilling industries. There's one case that the conservatives plainly want to use 
sort of hobble the Environmental Protection Agency by interpreting the Endangered Species Act in a really cramped and limited way. And I think the Republican Party wants their fifth man on the bench to cast the tie-breaking vote and deliver conservative victories in all of those cases. Some good news. A federal appeals court has ordered the Environmental Protection Agency to immediately enforce an Obama-era chemical plant safety rule that the Trump administration had tried to delay. The risk management program rule was put in place by the Obama administration after the deadly West Texas fertilizer explosion in 2013. Man, we are so lucky that the courts are, at least for now, still holding the line. And finally, Cleveland, Ohio has become the latest major city in the United States to commit to 100% renewable electricity by 2050. They join more than 80 U.S. cities that have committed to get all of their electricity from renewable sources. In Ohio, that might be easier said than done, but it's a start. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Cleveland does rock, does it? Indeed they do. Uh, by the way, we got to get out here, but uh, we didn't have time in our Green News report. But uh, another super typhoon now headed towards where? Japan? Japan and Taiwan. Super typhoon Tremi, which exploded in intensity very quickly, which is something we're starting to see a lot more often these days. They explode quickly in intensity, and then they hang around and linger, and they move slow, and they bring ungodly amounts of rain. Yep. Climate change. Figure it out. Pay attention. Yes, talking to you, corporate media. All right, got to get out. Thank you to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Cher Blues, Eric Bollert, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Those who have uh, uh, the time, the resources to uh, consider a, a one-time donation or a regular sustaining monthly subscription, which is all done automatically. It all takes about one minute's time. Please consider doing so. We need your support now more than ever. All right, got to get out. Until next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.